it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 517 for January 6th, 2018. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, we're back with Bart Bouchatz with episode uh, PBS, Programming by Stealth, episode 47 of X. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing just fine. Um, ready to do some more nerding. All right. Well, you threatened us last week with a topic, but before we stick into that, uh, we wanted to tell everybody that uh, Dorothy, also known as Mac Lurker, has been mm-hmm. in the background keeping a little index of terminology from Programming by Stealth. So she'll write down a couple of keywords and then reference which episode it was in so that she can find the written text for the thing she's searching for. Mm. So uh, I took her HTML and I put it into a post, into a page actually at podfeed.com, but you don't need to, to know that unless you're starting from podfeed.com. You can get to it by going to barb.ie and in the left-hand sidebar under sitemap, Bart has a link to programming by stealth and that's got the index of all the episodes, but he has also put in a link to uh, Dorothy's index of the topics. So you can bookmark that. She'll be keeping it up to date, hopefully. And uh, I have found it immensely useful just this week when I was looking for some things. So I uh, to give a shout out to Dorothy for that, and uh, I think you were you were a fan as well, right, Bart? I'm a huge fan. I want to say thank you very much to Dorothy for for doing the work and crucially for sharing. Um, so thank you, thank you for letting us have the fruits of your labor. Yeah, Much appreciate it definitely. Um, and just to say to people that if you go to bartb.ie forward slash pbs, that will take you straight to the PBS page. Ah, okay, good, good. I should I don't know, someone that. someone taught me this idea of having little short shortcuts. I don't know who <laughs> I don't know where I got that idea from. Okay, so we are we are at this stage about to finish learning new stuff for a while. And we've learned a lot of it and I'm aware of the fact that I've been hard on you the last while. <laughs> um we sort of go through the, it's sort of a stepped process, right? We learn a bunch of new stuff and then we pause and consolidate and then we move on and learn some new stuff. This is the last, we're, like at base, we're at the last base camp before the peak of Everest here. We have this, this one more week of new stuff, and then we will most certainly be pausing. Um, for, I believe the fancy pants term is knowledge consolidation. <laughs> okay. I believe that's what they call it in education circles. Um, but, and the other thing is, I expect today's topic to be one of those that doesn't immediately click. So I'm just don't feel bad if this is one of those ones that takes a while to sink in. Okay. Because it's a way of thinking. And it's very hard to teach you to to just say a way of thinking and have it make sense. Okay. And what this is doing, doing is key here. So we're going to say with the full with the full expectation that it's not going to really do much until there's some doing to follow it up. And part of that doing will be your homework challenge, obviously. Well, good, good. Uh, I'm good at getting lost, so uh, challenge accepted. <laughs> As I say, so I, I, I do want to give people that warning up front that this is this is not going to be one where you're just going to go, oh, yeah, that's grand, yeah, great. This is this is this is a lesson which undergraduate students at university level find challenging. They generally get over that challenge, but it. It, it is a challenge. This is like when you're lecturing CS100, Introduction to Computer Programming, this is the lecture you dread giving. <laughs> okay, great. Just to set it up for you, right? Just, you know, so don't, okay. don't feel bad if this one is not easy. Okay. Because it's not easy. 
So before we get to do new stuff, of course, we have to look at our homework because that's part, it's also knowledge consolidation, I believe. Good. So your challenge was to take the Bartificial.ca prototypes as they were. So this is effectively the last few challenges have actually been the same challenge. Keep applying what we learned in the previous installment to this particular code base. So we're constantly refactoring the code base with everything new we learn. And the, the end product will be that our code base is ES6 and it started off not being ES6. That's kind of, it's sort of, on the one hand, it's lots of individual challenges, but really it's been one massive challenge over the last couple of weeks. Right. Uh, and so in this case, I asked you to update both the test suite and the code base itself, and specifically to focus on two things, the class keyword and arrow functions. So the class keyword only appears in the prototypes. So we will leave that, we'll pause that one for a moment. And in my sample solution, which is published on GitHub and linked in the show notes. So it's it's on GitHub as a tagged release with the very imaginative tag pbs46-challenge-solution. Um, and so inside, I'm going to start in the test suite and say that there are no opportunities to use the class keyword because the test suite defines a grand total of zero prototypes. I got that part so, right. Yeah, so that's an easy one. Uh, so the next thing that I, the, the only other thing to do then was arrow functions. And I, I want to stress the point that our, that a lot of this is down to preference and that particularly, this is particularly important for listeners who are afraid that, but my sample solution doesn't look like yours, Bart. It, am I wrong? And the chances are you're probably not. However, I will focus on two instances where you would be. But 99.99% of the time, you wouldn't be. And it comes down to a choice. So as a little bit of revision, a normal function, every normal function has as a, a free gift that comes with the function, two special variables that are created. And those variables exist between the opening curly bracket and the closed curly bracket. The first of those is called arguments, and it is an object that represents the arguments of the function. And we've interacted with that, that object a few times at this stage, the arguments object. And the second of those is the most head-scratching variable name in the whole of JavaScript and possibly also in the whole of Java. Um, <laughs> it is this. Right. And this doesn't really have one meaning, which is why it's so bloody annoying, but you always get one. The key point is a normal function, you get an arguments and you get a this. An arrow function does get its own arguments. It does not get its own this. Instead, it steals the, the this. Ugh, that's hard to say. It steals the this from the nearest traditional function to it reaching sort of out, right? So if you're inside four functions and two of those are arrow functions and then you meet a normal function, the this you have is the one from the normal function. Okay. Okay. So that is the only thing that that is different about an arrow function. So given that that's the only thing that makes them different, that means that the only time when it ceases to be about aesthetics is when it's about that bloody keyword this. Yeah. So yeah. if it's not about this, it's just a choice. If it is about this, you need to think carefully. Which this makes most sense. 
And ultimately, you can always, again, there's even now there's no wrong answer because at the end of the day, you can use const self equals this and the, to, to hack around this kind of stuff. So arguably, you could make the argument, well, Bart, we don't need our functions because we have never used them before and we've been writing code just fine. It's like, yep, that is a true statement because we have been working around it by saying self equals this. So if you're happy to keep doing that, then you never need to write an arrow function in your entire life. I was happy to see it go away. Okay, good. So the easiest time when it takes absolutely no thinking is if you see your, if you find yourself typing const self equals this, backspace, 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 use an arrow function. Um, and maybe, maybe, it's, maybe that's fine for people to only use arrow functions in that situation. That, that, I mean, not just maybe it's fine. That is fine. That is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. I have chosen in my sample solution to use them for pretty much all of my anonymous functions because they're physically shorter. And I personally find them easier to read. Okay. So the first two, the first two examples in the show notes are the same call to a dot throws, which is a test for making sure that a piece of code throws an error. And I find it nice to write. So a dot throws takes three arguments, the code to test in the form of an anonymous function, the error that should be thrown, and then some descriptive text to say what what's going on. And if you use an arrow function, you can very nicely write it as one line for each thing. And so I just find it easier to read. So a dot throws const c1 equals new bars dot ca dot automaton type error throws an error when called with no arguments. I just find that nice and succinct. And below it, you have what the code was before I rewrote it. And it does exactly the same thing and it works in exactly the same way, but it uses the function keyword. And it's just that little bit more verbose and that little bit less obviously three nice simple things okay it's it's just it. a matter of preference i guess the only thing i wouldn't like is it, the way you've indented it it looks nice but if you didn't indent that uh second line it would say a dot throws open parentheses open parentheses close parentheses which looks funny but since it's on a separate line it's pretty clean yeah and how you how you in how you write your arrow functions I would suggest always putting a space in front of them. Oh, okay. So that if you were to put it on one line, it wouldn't quite be like, let's just smash this all together. Yeah, yeah, especially in certain that fonts be that would become unreadable. Yeah. And ultimately, right, the magic of indentation is to make it look clear. So if it looks clear, then you're right. Yeah. Would be my <laughs> argument. I like it. Okay. So there are examples in the test suite where you can not use an arrow function because the arrow function by definition does not get its own this. And there are instances where you actually need this to come from its normal sources. Now, it's been a while since we first met QUnit, so we haven't really focused on its innards in a while. So this is a little bit of revision before I get into my actual code snippet. So QUnit has tests, and those tests can, if you like, be grouped into modules, which are just a collection of related tests. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. Are we looking at the uh, third code snippet down now? We are the indeed Q looking at the one okay. that starts with QUnit.module. Okay. But I don't want right. to talk about the code snippet just yet. I'm, I want to just remind everyone that we have this concept of a module, which is a collection of tests. And one of the reasons you like to collect your tests, tests into modules is because those modules 
allow you, if you would like, to define what what, what QUnit calls hooks. And one of those hooks has the name before each. And as the name suggests, what you use before each for is to say, before every test, run this function. And what QUnit does, according to the specification, so this is something that QUnit provides as part of the API, QUnit promises you that in the function that you use for before each, that functions this will be the same this that is used inside every test. Mm, okay. And the sense. reason that's useful is because you can use it to do setup. So you can basically create some variables that you're going to use in all of your tests and you create them once in the before each and then you use them in every test. And you don't have to you don't have to start every test by having the same const, 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 const. You can just define them once in the before each and then reach into them with this. Okay. So you are using a this which is specified within the QUnit API. In other words, you are using the real this that actually belongs to the function. But an arrow function does not have a real this. Therefore, you can't use an arrow function because the arrow function doesn't have what you need. Which one are you saying can't use an arrow function? I'm saying I can't use an arrow function for my tests because my tests are relying on the fact that QUnit has said that I will put all the stuff you did in before reach into your this. But if I say I'm not having my own this, I'm inheriting it from my parent, well then QUnit has put the stuff I need into something I don't have. Right? So QUnit, by a definition, says I will put it in your this. And if you use a, an arrow function, you're saying I do not want my own. Well then, where is the stuff gone? It's missing. It's, it's in the ether. Wherever it is, you don't have it anymore because you have thrown it away by using an arrow function. Because the arrow function thought, doesn't have its own this. Right. The arrow function doesn't have its own this, but it inherits it from the next closest function, which would be the one up the chain from it. Correct. So but that's why, not where QUnit put the stuff. The QUnit didn't put the stuff in the one up the chain. Where did QUnit it put it? It put it into the one that was destined for the callback, which you, which you, have, never, you have never accepted that this is, is even existing. So it's basically put it nowhere. Is it because it's parallel to the to the functions that we're going to write? Like it's not enclosing it's it? Is that why it's not working? Right. If QUnit were to put the stuff in the enclosing function, then you could reach it from the arrow function because by definition, okay. that's what the arrow function gets. But that's not where QUnit is putting it. QUnit is putting it into the actual, the actual this that belongs to the function, which the arrow function doesn't have. So basically QUnit has, hasn't put it anywhere because there's nowhere to put it. So I know so you said gone. not to look at the code, but I am. Now you they can. Haven't no, talked no, now you can well, but now it looks like this code means it won't, what you just said means it won't work. And so that isn't what you mean. So I, let, no, no, maybe we can walk I, through the code. Okay, what I'm saying is I cannot change the lines in yellow, which are, so you see the way I've highlighted some stuff in yellow. The before each stuff. And below at the test. Okay. And you'll notice in both of the highlighted sections, I have not used an arrow function. I have used a traditional function, open parens, close parens. Yes? Right. The before each that we've been talking about. That's Yeah, that's, yeah. that's using a normal function, and right. so is line 12. And line tw for the audience, line 12 is? QUnit.test. Okay. 
So what I am saying is, if, even if I wanted to, I cannot change line 4 or line 12 to an arrow function. Okay. Because they rely on the fact that the this from the before each is going to be projected into the this from the test. And if I use an arrow function, I am saying, no, 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 I don't want my normal this. I want to inherit a this instead. And that just won't work because I'm not, I need my own this. Okay. So what I'm saying is these cannot be arrow functions. Okay. Okay. That's, that's all I'm saying. It's basically, this is an example where you don't have a choice. That's, that's so what's the arrow function that's above the test? You've got you've got line yeah, eleven yeah. is an arrow function, and I don't know. That's the one I was focusing on when you were trying to describe it. Okay, which is okay. So I have been very okay. I, I should have said this up front because there's no point in saying it afterwards. But I have been very very careful to use highlighting because this could get really confusing. So I've really gone out of my way to use the highlight feature in my code editor to to highlight the lines I'm talking about in the text because there's so much context. So the, the ones I cannot change are the ones I have highlighted. So when I'm describing in the English why I can't change, I'm talking about lines 4 and 12. Okay. The one on line 11 is arbitrary. It would work either way. So that could have said function open close parentheses squirrely bracket. Yes, it could. Okay. And instead it says arrow, uh, uh, parentheses uh, fat arrow. Arrow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's true. By the way, for all of the examples today, because they would otherwise be confusing, I've I've been very careful to highlight. So I should have said that at the start. I went to all the bother of doing it, and then I forgot to tell you about it. Okay. Um. So there is also the inverse case. Uh, actually, okay, I'm gonna leave some stuff in the show notes to the reader if they like. Basically. I found a bug in the old versions of my code, and I have fixed that bug in my sample solution. I'm not going to focus on it now. Okay. So let's switch gears into the prototypes themselves. And here, the big thing to do was, of course, you got to play with the class keyword. Mm -hmm. And you had your one example of your var self or const self equals this that you flipped over to being an arrow function. And then you got rid of all of the self nonsense. And I, I understood that and did it. Perfect. With, so that with was some the, help from Dorothy, of course. But <laughs> That was the start function had that in it. So then we got to rewrite the start function without all that self nonsense. Um, so in terms of the classes, the only tricky part, the only part that was... Um, oh. Bird his. Yeah, I've just realized that I appear to have managed to delete a whole chunk of my show notes. Really? Because the bit where I changed it into a class has vanished from my show notes. <laughs> okay. So really all I had to do was, you know, copy the syntax across, but I would have liked to have, I definitely wrote some sentences about that. So I have managed to delete my, oh, delete you know, my own homework. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, actually, uh, Denise and I've been talking this week. We have both lost things that we swear we wrote and they've disappeared. So apparently this one was yours. It was, it was a super moon this week. That must be it. I'm going to cling on to that as my hope. <laughs> okay. um, but I, I, hopefully before people hear this, or at least very soon, I will write a few sentences. But basically, the only okay. other thing I did in that file 
was to change from the old prototype syntax to the class syntax. And to be honest, it was entirely by the book. Yeah, that, that wasn't even exception. hard for me. Except I yeah. kept I kept messing up the uh, namespace somehow, but eventually I fixed it. Dorothy yeah. did. So I the the one thing I definitely remember typing, drawing your attention to, was the fact that in the last bit of the previous show notes, I had sort of done that school teacher trick of saying "wink, wink, nudge, nudge." This might be important. Uh, you know the way school teachers do that for what's on your exam. Um, it was about how to do the namespace with the class keyword, and we used PBS. Bartificer.demo, I think we used in the show notes, and this was Bartificer.ca. That was kind of the only difference. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was a bit I definitely wanted to draw your attention to. And other than that, it was very by the book. And because these prototypes are actually very basic prototypes, there was not even a single static in there. It was just very simplistic instance functions all the way down. Now, so um, we did find some uh, errors in your or missing pieces to your testing because I put in some instance functions that worked and they shouldn't have some static functions. You mean. Static. Sorry. Static functions. Right. Yeah. So the test suite can't possibly test for everything. And one of the things it isn't good at testing is the automatic stuff. Mainly because I don't really know how to do that. Mm. So the auto start function the start function, the stop function, aren't well covered by the test suite. I may find a solution to that, and if I do, I will definitely write it in. Okay. But I don't really know how to do it, so the test suite doesn't cover that. Okay. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it is a shortcoming, because... I thought it, I was grand. I thought I was so smart. <laughs> yeah. So, with, with our homework revised, and eaten by the dog, apparently. Um, <laughs> let us move into our new stuff, which is inheritance and polymorphism, and they are extremely related terms. Uh, before we start, I just want to remind you that the class keyword creates prototypes. So at the end of the day, JavaScript is, was, and always will be a prototype-based language. But we are now free to use the word class when we mean the word prototype, because Basically, ES6 gives us permission. So from now on, the word class and the word prototype are synonyms of each other. So you're going to flip back and forth between them, probably, or try to say class whenever possible? I'll try to say class. <laughs> okay. um, but if but I hear prototype, you mean class. They are the same thing now. Um, basically, JavaScript didn't used to have any classes, and now it does. But what, it, what a class is and what a prototype is is the same thing. Okay. They are just two different syntaxes for exactly the same thing. And you can't tell by using it how it was made, whether it was made using the old-fashioned syntax or the new-fashioned syntax. But I it like is them way the better thing. because they enclose it all in one pile. I can use the little fold-down thing in, in uh, Atom and see it all squash up. And I, know, I knew when I made a mistake because I was hitting the little arrow and the whole thing wasn't squashing upright. Yeah, absolutely. It is so much clearer where one prototype ends and another one begins. It is a massive improvement to the language that we now have this other way of writing the same thing. Okay. But at the end of the day, we're it's just another way of writing the same thing. And I just okay. wanted to remind people of that point. So before we, before we look at the cool new stuff, I just want to do a little bit of basic revision. So we've been poking around inside objects for months now, but let's just go back through what they are and some of the language to make sure we're on the same page before we learn anything new. So the first thing is 
the, at the end of the day, what an object is, is a single data structure that somehow contains both some data and some code for manipulating that data in some way. So an object is code plus is data plus code tied up together in a little bow. Dumb question. So what I, do you mean by data? Variables? So, yeah. Okay. Some information. Okay. So an example would be a date object contains a day of the month, a month of the year, and a year. And it contains the functions to Manip- manipulate those okay. things. Okay. Just want to make sure. So data plus code. No, absolutely. That, that's a very good question. So you can build an object without ever coming up with a prototype. You can just make a one-off object that just, you know, that you, you, a bespoke object that doesn't have a prototype. It's just, you know, I have some data. I put it in. I say my object dot piece of data one equals boogers. My object dot piece of data two equals snot. My object dot function one equals console dot log this dot boogers. That is a bespoke object. It is a one-off. But they're generally not what we want. What we generally want is the ability to go copy, you know, rubber stamp. I would like 50 boogers, stamp, 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 stamp. Or I would like 50 dates, stamp, 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 stamp. Or I would like 50 cellular automaton, or in this case, 100 cells inside my cellular automaton. Stamp, mm-hmm. stamp, 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 stamp. So the, the, the template you're using for stamping out many, many objects that are the same, that is called a prototype or a class. Right, so the, the prototype of the class is the, imagine in your mind a stamp for producing many, many instances of that template or of that prototype or of that class. So when I say prototype or I say class, think of yourself, it's a template. It's a way of yeah. making lots and lots of instances that are copies of each other. So Honda Accord could be a class and your Honda Accord is an instance and your neighbor's Honda Accord is another instance, and I'm sure Honda Bob has a Honda Accord somewhere that's another instance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I think in the show notes, I, of course, use boogers. So I say, imagine we have defined a class named Booger with a capital B, and we use it to create an object named Big Booger. We could then say that Big Booger is a booger. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the is a is, is a thing. So classes define the named pieces of data that every instance of the class will have, which we call the instance properties. Or to be honest, we generally just call them properties. So for our booger class, we might create one called dot underscore color as a property. And so if I make five boogers, each of those five boogers will have their own underscore color. Mm -hmm. Yes? Yep. Okay. So big boogers underscore color and little boogers underscore color are different. They're not the same thing. Uh, the prototype or class also gets to define instance functions. So we might have a function named toString. And every instance of the class booger can have toString applied to it. So you can say big booger dot to string. And what makes it an instance function is that the bit on the left is an instance. Right. right. So it's big booger dot to string. That means that to string must be an instance function because big brother, big booger is an instance. Right. So then the function must be an instance function. Right. You can also 
add functions not to the instances, but you can add functions to the template or to the class. And the way you recognize those is that the thing on the left is the class. So if I made one called synonyms, it would be booger.synonyms, not big booger.synonyms or little booger.synonyms, booger.synonyms. In other words, the thing on the left is the class. So hmm. that, by definition, makes it a class function, which we also know as a static function. Yeah, I don't, I don't know when you would do that, though. I understand what you said. That was that was very very clear. But I don't know when. What would an example be of that? And that's where Dorothy and I noodled on that. And apparently, we got it all wrong when I I asked you an email about that. So, what would I'm going to ask you to park that until I can okay. find an analogy that works. Okay. My brain hasn't come up with one yet. And rather than confusing things more, I okay great. I have noted the fact that there is a need for this, but I haven't yet come up with a solution. Okay. So I will come back to you on this. Okay, but not today. All right. We got enough to do, apparently. We haven't yeah. even started the hard part, Bert. I'm getting nervous. <laughs> okay, so I thought it was important that we remind ourselves of this much information before I told you that there is a there is a concept of classes having a relationship between each other. One of these relationships we've already seen, I just haven't I haven't put a circle around it. So we we have two prototypes or two classes inside our cellular automaton. We have cell and automaton. Mm -hmm. And there is a relationship between those two. An automaton has a cell. In fact, an automaton has many cells. Right. So there is a relationship there, right? Yeah, yeah. And we call that relationship a HAZA relationship. So Bartifisser.ca has a, Bartifisser.ca, sorry, Bartifisser.ca that automaton has a, Bartifisser.ca.cell. Right. In fact, it has many, but we call it a has a relationship. Okay. There is another type of relationship, which is the one we're going to be focusing on today. And the entirety of today's new stuff can be summed up in two words. Is a. So we have has a relationships, and now we're going to learn about the concepts of an is a. Wait, we already what, did is a. You just said big booger is a booger. Yeah. But what if... There's another kind of is a. Oh, but that isn't between classes. That was an That's instance not in a class. Classes. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. All right. So you can extend a class. Basically, there is a concept of inheritance where you can basically say, I want to freeload off an existing class and just add on a few new features. So I want to have everything he has and I'm going to add a few extra things. And that, that is something called an is a relationship. So to give an example that makes sense to everyone, let us imagine that, okay, let's start with a real world example, right? You know that there are many vehicles in this world and we can subdivide them into different categories. So I might decide to say that there are many, many vehicles, but some of them are SUVs, some of them are trucks, some of them are saloons or sedans, as you guys would call it. <laughs> I didn't know you call them saloons. Interesting. We call them saloons, yeah. Huh. That's um, where you and go in, the, in a, the Old West. To have whiskey yeah, I know. is in a saloon. Yeah, whereas to us it's a car. A saloon, I believe, is also a room in a house where you entertain people. A salon is a woman a room in a house. Maybe it's or a saloon. We're called saloons here. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, right. it doesn't matter. Anyway. The point is, <laughs> okay. right, so all trucks are vehicles. All mm -hmm. coupes are vehicles. All SUVs are vehicles. 
So there's an is a relationship there. So truck is a vehicle. Truck is a vehicle. SUV is a vehicle. Coupe is a vehicle. And basically, vehicle gives you a sort of a vague description of things that a truck matches that description. A vehicle is something that goes from A to B in some sort of controlled way. Well, a truck does that. A car does that. A a sedan does that. A coupe does that. So they clearly have that in common with each other. They probably have a brake and accelerator and a steering wheel. So there are clearly some things they all have in common. But then they all have their own unique differences. And so that's what inheritance is all about. So now imagine that we're going back into JavaScript land. We could write a class called vehicle with a capital V, and we could give it a couple of properties that are common to everything. Maybe number of wheels could be a property of the class vehicle. Um, And then we could create two other classes called car and truck. And we could do an awful lot of copying and pasting and take all of the code from vehicle and copy and paste it into car and all of the code from vehicle and copy and paste it into truck, use that as a starting point and then start adding in all the things that are different. Mm -hmm. But when I say the words copy and paste, that generally speaking means you're doing it wrong. So we can tell JavaScript, I want you to just inherit everything from vehicle into car. Just in one word, just take it. I want you to just take it. And that magic word is the word extends. You simply say class, car, extends, vehicle. And then all of a sudden car, without you writing another single character of code, car has just inherited all the code from vehicle. So if vehicle defines four properties, car now has those four properties. If vehicle defines four instance functions, car just got all those instance functions. I kind of like this. This makes sense. Oh, it's great. It's great. Oh, this isn't the hard part yet? No, no, this is the bit people have real trouble with. Oh, okay. So far, I like the idea. I mean, it extends the definition of, for example, like you're giving me more information about the vehicle. It extends it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's inheritance, this Mm -hmm. concept of one class extending another class. A related thing is polymorphism. So let's say you have the situation where you have vehicle and you have car and truck and car and truck extend vehicle. So vehicle could define a function named toString, which means that car and truck just get that function by magic. So let's say that we have written that function to simply return the string a generic vehicle. So that isn't particularly interesting. So in the car class, you might prefer your toString to say what the make and model is. And in the truck class, you might prefer your toString to say that how many wheels it has, because that's really important to truckers. Mm-hmm. So you still want them all to have a two-string, but you want them to have their own two-string. So yeah, 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 I ha- I inherited two-string from vehicle, but you know something? I'm not happy with it. I want my own. I want to assert my independence on this one function. You are allowed to create your own two-string. And that is called overriding what you have inherited. So you inherited a two-string, but you don't care. You're going to write your own anyway. So you override it. And once you do that, once you say that, yeah, yeah, I'm not accepting this inheritance, I'm having this one instead, you have created a polymorphic function. Because the function has the same name, it is called toString, but it does different things. But when when you override like that, does that mean uh, you've overridden everything about vehicle when you override it in truck? No, only the, only the one thing you're overriding. So if you override the two-string function, the only thing that you stop inheriting is two-string. You still inherit everything else. Okay. So you basically, you say, give me everything. Okay, but I want my own two-string. 
Okay. So imagine, yeah, so think of it, you're basically saying, I'll have everything from you, except I want my own one of these. Okay. And once you do that, you now have, so every vehicle has a two-string, every car has a two-string, every truck has a two-string. So they look like the same function, but they behave differently. Polymorphic. So many shapes. So the two-string has many different behaviors, so it is polymorphic. So wait a minute, wait a minute. So just that function within the class that it didn't extend is polymorphic. Yeah, so two-string has become polymorphic. Stay with me. Don't say more words. So um, the two-string is polymorphic in that case, but if, if vehicle had... A uh, property of how many uh, wheels, and I and and my funk and my uh, my truck did extend that class and kept that, then that would not be a polymorphic function. Or ex- yeah, it'd still exactly. be extended. Yeah, exactly. So you some things you inherit and don't tinker with; they're not polymorphic. And some things you inherit and do tinker with, and then you've just made them polymorphic. Okay, and and. Those things that you're inheriting are properties? Uh, actually, there would be functions. Functions. Okay, yeah. Right, instance. Right. Okay, actually, let, let, let me be, uh, thank you, actually. Instance functions. Okay. Right, so, yeah. So your instance functions are what become polymorphic. So that's what you're, you're overriding. Okay. So let's stop being hand-waving, and let's actually write some code in the hope that that cements, right. I've said all I'm going to say because that's actually it. Okay. It's short, but it's also you know what I like impact- is This actually has, are words that have real meanings that mean this. The, a polymorph, yeah, I know. A polymorph is an organism or inorganic object or material which takes various forms. Yep. So the two-string mm-hmm. function takes various forms. It is polymorphic. Now, before Jill shouts and sends me an email, <laughs> in computer science, there are many forms of polymorphism. This is one of the forms of polymorphism. There are others. We're not going to talk about those today. I am aware that this is a subset of polymorphism, not all of polymorphism. Okay. But two-string is polymorphic. Sorry, that, that's not really for you, Alison. That's just me <laughs> saving myself an email. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let us do this in JavaScript with a concrete example. So the key, the keys to this are the keyword extends and also a new keyword that you may or may not like called super. And super is a bit like this, which is why I think you're not going to like it. But nonetheless, I get the sense you're afraid to tell me stuff sometimes. Like, oh, she's giving sometimes me I am. Like you're, te- so, you're tiptoeing in real close, going, I don't want to tell her about super. Okay. We have to, though. JavaScript <laughs> actually forces you to use super. Other languages don't force you. And I actually prefer JavaScript's approach. We're not going to, we're not going to do it behind your back. We're going to put a gun to your head and make you do it. Okay. So then you know what happened, right? Because you've done it. So let us start. Let's just start with a simple class. We are going to define a class called Creature with a capital C. It contains a constructor which takes two arguments, which I am calling N and L. I am shoving the argument N into a property named this dot underscore name. And I am defaulting it to Bob. So if you don't give me an argument, I will use Bob. 
So our creature is defaulted to being called Bob. Okay. The second property I'm giving my creature is this dot underscore num legs, and I am defaulting it to four. So by default, our creatures are called Bob and have four legs. Okay. But if I were to pass, say, Allison and two, I would get a creature named Allison with two legs. All right. Okay. Uh, my object contains a function named toString, an instance function named toString, which returns a string of the form. It's a nice template string because we now know ES6. Mm. A, this that underscore num legs, legged animal named this that underscore name. So in other words, for Bob, it will say a four-legged animal named Bob. And for Allison, it would say a two-legged animal named Allison. Okay? Right. And then we have one more function. Pairs of shoes needed. <laughs> which returns math.seal, which is the round up function. Because if you have three legs, you actually need two pairs of shoes. Ooh, look at you. Yeah. So math.seal, this.numlegs divided by two. So in other words, divide by two, round up. So that's our class we're going to be inheriting from, right? Are you happy that that's a straightforward class and I don't need to dwell I on am. that? I am very okay. happy. I like that. So now let us make a more specific type of creature, a class to describe centipedes so that we can copy and paste out 100 centipedes. Oh, we've got highlighting. Get we've excited highlighting. here. All right. So class centipede extends creature. So there's our magic. Got it. Extends. Perfect. Totally understand so without, that line. Without doing a single other thing, centipedes now have a two string and a pairs of shoes needed function. Do they also have a default of Bob and four legs? And They don't until I get to line 20 when they will. Hmm. So I haven't yet mentioned the constructor because that's the one special case. So the word extends has given you for free all of the functions except the constructor. Okay, okay. You must write your own constructor. Hmm. Okay. And there's an extra rule. Your constructor must call the parent's constructor. But the parent's constructor is also called constructor. So how do you do that? The answer is you use the word super. So when you say super, open parens, you are saying call the parent constructor. Hmm. So because we are extending creature, super is now a reference to creature. If we extended a different class, super would be a, re a reference to whatever class we extended. So super is our placeholder for our parent. So think super means my mammy. Uh, uh, okay. That so, helps. So let me, let me try to say this again. So uh, if you have a class that extends another class... You have to you have to have a your own constructor, but yes. you have to use the word super in order to adopt the one from the class from which you extended. And you must you must you must have a line that says super open parens, because you, you, what that is doing is it is calling the parents constructor from within your own constructor, and then anything you do after the call to super is basically extra stuff that your constructor does that your mammy's constructor doesn't. So your so the simplest constructor possible is simply one that says super. So you can just super open close parentheses, and that would just say but, I'm just keeping the same constructor. It means my constructor is do what my parent does and no more. Okay, 
All right. And don't just do what my parent does, but don't even pass any arguments up. Right. Now, in this case, with centipede, that's not what I'm doing. I'm saying my constructor for centipede will take one argument, a name, and it will call my parent's constructor with the name you gave me, comma, 100. 1,000. Centi, centi. No, well, you're, centi, you're showing you know it say 1,000. No, they, that's... Oh, the second one does. I'm sorry. Didn't notice there were two. Okay. So let me read that out loud. So it says, class centipede extends creature. So, so far, so good. I've got, uh, that means I've got the two string and the pair of shoes needed, but I don't mm -hmm. inherit the constructor. So I have to create a constructor. So I say constructor, open parentheses, N. That means I'm only going to take, my constructor is only going to take one uh, argument, but yep. I, I must follow that with super and something in open close parentheses. And since... The constructor of my parent has two uh, variable or two uh, inputs, two arguments. I must give it mm -hmm. two arguments, and I'm going to give it this n that I've just asked. I, I told it I'm going to use, but also, uh, I'm but I'm going to define the number of legs as always a hundred. Yes. Okay. Which makes sense, right? Yeah. So I can still name my centipede Bob, mm -hmm. but my centipede will always have a hundred legs. Okay. So I'm basically saying, call the creature constructor with whatever you gave me and 100. Hmm. Now, class millipede also extends creature. And it's awfully similar, but it says super n comma 1000. Okay. So we now have three classes. So let's use them. We've defined three classes, now let's use them. Has the word polymorph happened here? Nope. Okay. We are now at inheritance, right? So, we're, we're, okay. so we are now, we have, we have inheritance. Class centipede inherits from creature. Mm -hmm. And class millipede inherits from creature. Right. So we can say that creature is the parent class of centipede. Okay. And creature is the parent class of millipede. Right. Makes sense. Okay. The, the the language is very biological, actually, which mm -hmm. is why which, which is why it I uses sort of think, so it must be yeah it is it is very biological. So we now have defined classes. So let's use our classes. So const randomer equals new creature. So that we're going to create an object that is an instance of creature, and it has no argument. So it's basically going to be Bob with four legs. Okay. Then I say const Charlie equals new centipede, and I pass it the string Charlie. So we now have an instance of the centipede class. So that means it's called Charlie and it has 100 legs. Mm -hmm. And then we have const Mike equals new millipede with the string Mike as an argument. So our millipede is called Mike and it has 1,000 legs because that's what the constructor of millipede does. Okay. So we can now use their two-string function. So we can say console.log randomer.toString needing randomer.pairs of shoes, pairs of shoes. And then we have another call that says, you know, charlie.toString needing charlie.pair of shoes and mike.toString needing mike.pairs of shoes. And when you run that code, which you can do inside CodeRunner, the output will be a four-legged animal named Bob needing two pairs of shoes, a 100-legged animal named Charlie needing 50 pairs of shoes, a 100-legged animal, or sorry, a 1,000-legged animal named Mike needing 500 pairs of shoes. I like this example. That's excellent. Good. So clearly, millipede and centipede both have a pairs of shoes function and a two-string function. Yeah. But you didn't have to write them. They yeah. just came along for free because you said extends. Right. Okay, so that's it. That's what I want you to take in so far in the example. So we're going to continue. I'm, I'm a little confused here because I'm not lost. 
Good. Let us strike keep it that way. I want to hammer home here in the show notes some of the conventions. So we can say that Randomer is a creature. We can say that Charlie is a creature. Why can we say that? Because creature extends, uh, I forget, was Charlie the centipede or the millipede? Charlie's a centipede. So Charlie okay. is a centipede, but a centipede is a creature because, it's, right. because of the extends. Sure. So Randomer is a creature. Charlie is a creature. Charlie is a centipede. Mm-hmm. Mike is a creature and Mike is a millipede. Yep. They're all true statements. Mm-hmm. So I say in my show notes now what you've already said. There is no polymorphism here yet. This is just inheritance. So let's add some. Let us make custom two strings for our different classes. Let us make two string polymorphic. So in the code is exactly the same, except the bits I've highlighted are additions to the exact same code we've had before. So inside our centipede class, I have added three lines of code, two string with no arguments, open parens, return a centipede named this that underscore name. And inside class millipede, I have again inserted a little little simple function called toString, which returns a millipede named this that underscore name. Okay. Okay. So now let's run our exact same test code. So console.log randomer.toString needing randomer.pairs of shoes needed pairs of shoes. And now the output reads... So the output for randomer hasn't changed because it's a creature we haven't touched. So it still says a four-legged animal named Bob needing two pairs of shoes. Hey, can I interrupt with a, a dumb question? Because this seems yeah, fairly obvious, but a dumb question. So a class can only have one two-string function? Yes. Yes. Hmm. Just like there can only be one variable named X. There can only be one thing defined by the class named two-string. Wait, two-string is a class? No, no, two, no, no. You said the class, class named two-string. Yeah, no, no. Sorry, if that's what, that's not what my brain said, but if that's what my voice said, I <laughs> it apologize. Is. Yeah, okay. Um, so a class can only have one of any name, right? So the class can have a, a two-string, right? Hmm. Okay. Remember, it's a na- it, the class contains something so named two-string. I thought two-string string was a, one of those special secret words. N- not really? No, it's a, con- it's a convention. Oh, okay. So you could have my two-string and your two-string... Yes. Could both be in there. Oh, okay. Okay, then Two I understand. String is one of those okay. things we do by Good. convention. Yes. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yes, okay. So now when we run the same code, so we're calling two string on each of our animals, and the first one is still a four-legged animal named Bob, mm-hmm. needing two pairs of shoes. But now our second output is a centipede named Charlie needing 50 pairs of shoes. And mm-hmm. our final output is a millipede named Mike needing 500 pairs of shoes. Okay. So we've called two string on each of our three creatures, but the output is now different depending on what type of creature they are because of inheritance and because of polymorphism. I understood all of that, Bert. Excellent. And there is only one more thing I need to add to this. <laughs> no, don't I'm ruin it. Don't ruin it. it. <laughs> okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The word super has another another job. So we have seen that we use the word super inside the constructor to call our parents constructor. Mm-hmm. And that is true and that will remain true. You can also use the word super inside any function inside your class. Oh. And you can use it to reach back to the other copy of toString. So super.toString would be your parents toString. So you're saying, I am replacing two string with my one, but if for some reason I need my parents, I can say super 
string, and then I get my parents' one. Why would you need to do that? Because you get it for free. Right, but what if you want to replace it with your own, but you want to you want to steal some stuff from the parent as well? You want to have your cake and eat it. So you can, it, it, okay, if you do that, is it polymorphic? Yes. Oh, so okay, you, your good, two-string good. might say return super.toString concatenated with okay. Okay. something else, right? So that's having your cake yeah. and eating it. Say, okay. I'm going to have my own, and it's going to start by doing what my parent does, and then it's going to do something else. So it's not changing it. You can add to it. Yes, you exactly. Can't, you can't really change it. Okay, then I'm then I'm 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 feeling okay. Me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's it. That's, I was just that afraid the answer was the other way around, and then I was going to scream. But good. No, good, good. Okay. So let's do an example, and this is going to be a worked example, which is in the zip file. So if you'd like to play along, so you don't have to look at my horrible code editor on my website, it's PBS forty seven A dash V one is the folder we're playing in there. Okay. And it contains two files an index.html and a pbs47a.js. So let's just start with the index.html, which is a very, very, very simple HTML5 document. In its head section, it simply gives it a dumb title. It then imports jQuery, because we love jQuery. And then it imports pbs47a.js. And the only thing it has in its body is a h1 tag, a h2 tag that says Bart's farm and a div with the ID the underscore farm. And that is the grand total of our web page. 18 whopping lines. So obviously all the fun stuff is happening in the JavaScript file. Right. So you can open that up in your code editor of choice. So what we are going to do is we're going to create some classes to represent a farm full of animals. So I'm going to make a class named farm to represent the farm as a whole. Um, and I'm going to use emoji to represent the animals so that we can see our animals as emoji on the page. Okay. Uh, because I'm going to be tinkering around with emoji, the first thing you'll notice at the top of, basically, at the top of that file, you're going to see me defining um, the class farm, and you're going to see me defining some helper functions. One of them is the world's ugliest regular expression called single underscore emoji underscore or E. And this is the regular expression provided to me by the Googles, <laughs> which matches exactly one emoji and nothing else. And okay. unfortunately, matching one emoji sounds simple. It's really bloody hard. Why you do you use Unicode. match a single emoji? As in the regular, the pattern that is considered, the pattern this regular expression looks for is one emoji. Why are we looking for one emoji is my question. Well, that will become clear as we go through the code. Okay. This, is, All right, this, is a, this is a helper function. So this, this variable is needed because I have defined the function named is single emoji, and that's going to use that regular expression. I'm kind and of surprised it works because it's misspelled. Maybe you never call it anywhere. It says is no, single. There's no N. Uh, well, then I copied and pasted its title. <laughs> Good. Okay. Don't touch I it. I usually do that. Okay. Yeah. So it's misspelled consistently. I just realized I should have made a uh, text expander snippet for Bartificer a long time ago. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. Do that. Should have one of them. Yeah. Okay. So uh, uh, basically, take it as forgiven that we have this function and this really ugly variable. Don't worry about them. They're not important. Okay. The next thing in that file is the class farm. And farm expects to be given as its argument to its constructor a jQuery object, which is going to just be a reference to a div. 
And what the farm is going to do is it's going to shove animals inside that div. So the farm Ooh, and that's provides that, 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 just two thing. Add animal and collect produce because animals are going to make produce. That is how our farm is going to work. It's a very simplistic farm. The great thing is these magic animals. So our chicken will just lay eggs and I never have to feed them. This, this is the ideal farm. Okay. This will give us milk for free. Um, but anyway, so the farm just has a function to add another animal into the pen and a function to harvest whatever it is those animals are producing. I'm being very vague here because obviously we're going to use inheritance here so that our animals could be all sorts of animals. They could produce all sorts of things. So class farm is basically a bunch of jQuery code. If you would like to go through it line by line, we can. But to be honest, my thinking was that you would just believe me that a farm is just a class that has two functions to add an animal and to collect some produce. Okay. So what I really want to focus on is the polymorphism bit. So just to see, if you'd like now, you can open that page in a browser. And what you should see is a farm with three animals in it. Yes. Uh Okay, uh, and that is coming because the page, the um, document ready function contains one line of code. It says Bart farm equals new farm dollar pound sign the underscore farm. In other words, I am wait, telling wait, you. Hey, hold, 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 where are you? I thought I was right okay. with you and I was looking at the class farm and I, now I lost you. Okay. So in, in the show notes, we have class farm mm-hmm. and then we have one paragraph of text and then we have a very short three line code snippet. Okay. So the three-line code snippet is the document-ready function, so dollar function. So where is that? I, I've downloaded the file. I'm looking at the – that's not it, in the JavaScript, is it? It's at the very, very bottom of the JavaScript. It's basically, I would li- the bit we're okay. going to focus on is the bit between class farm and the very, very, very bottom, which is just the onload handler. Okay. So at the very bottom of the file, you'll find this on, onload handler, and all the onload handler does is make a farm, so a new farm. It's going to call it Bart farm, and – it takes as its arguments the div to put all the animals in and then the list of animals to put into that div. So new cow, new duck, and new turkey. Obviously, we haven't talked about cows, ducks, or turkeys yet. But if you load the page, you can see a cow, a duck, and a turkey. Right? Yes. So how do we do that is the question. So because cows, ducks, and turkeys, they're actually quite similar. They're emoji on the screen. Each of them has in front of it, um, so each animal has in front of it what it is it likes to eat as another emoji. So you have a big emoji representing the animal and in front of it a little emoji representing what it likes to have for dinner. Can you see that? Yep. And click on an animal. Okay. Oh, it said quack. It says quack and then it'll vanish after. Yeah. (laughs) Cobble and And you Very nice. Yeah. So... All of the animals, whether they're cows, ducks, or turkeys, have those three things in common. They are a giant big emoji. They have a little emoji that shows what they eat. And when you click on them, they make a noise. Okay. So it's probably not a surprise to you that rather than copying and pasting that code three times to make cows, ducks, and turkeys, I made a class that does the generic stuff, which I named animal. So let's start with the animal class. So the animal class takes as a as its the animal class contains a constructor that takes three arguments. The first one is going to be the icon for the animal. The second one is going to be the icon for what it eats, and the third one is going to be the string for what it says. 
and it defaults it to an egg, a question mark, and question mark, question mark, question mark. So a generic animal is an egg that doesn't know what it eats and it doesn't know what sound it makes. Okay. We then do a whole bunch of jQuery stuff. We create a div. We give it a whole bunch of CSS properties, display, inline block, position relative, width, 100px, height, 80px, margin, 10px. And we shove in the icon, font size, 50 points, position absolute, and we move the icon around. You get the idea, right? This is all, this really, really, it's a lot of jQuery stuff to make some HTML. Okay. Right. So all of that is in the constructor. So it just basically, it builds up all of this stuff. The only interesting thing then is we have two more functions. So way down on line 62, we finally come to another function. It's named $DOM. It's literally a one-liner. It's an accessor function. It just returns this dot underscore dollar dom. In other words, it returns a reference to the div where everything is inside it. So our animal is inside a div and dollar dom just hands us the div. Says, here you go. Here's all of that jQuery code we just made. It's called dollar dom. I couldn't think of a better name. On line 64, we define our first interesting function. It is the function make noise. And what it does is, if the text bubble isn't already showing, it creates a text bubble and shows it using our window.setTimeout feature. So basically we're saying set timeout, make some noise, and then wait a thousand milliseconds. In other words, wait one second. Okay. So when you click on the animal, it pops up the speech bubble. So it's a, you know, just a speech bubble dot show. Uh-huh. And then it sets a timeout that says, wait a second, and then call dot hide. So you had you fun doing animal, this, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. And then the last thing is line 72. We have a function called get produce, and all it does is return the empty string. And next to it, I've put a comment to tell myself why I'm doing something so weird. Default to delivering no produce. So it's probably not going to be a surprise to you that get produce is going to become polymorphic. Because again, a cow and a duck, they know make you the same stuff. So by default, they make nothing, return empty string. Okay. So of that code, I want to draw your attention to just three things. First off, most of the code is just jQuery stuff for doing the boring thing of actually building up a span and a div. And okay. it's all there for you to look at if you'd like, but it's, I don't want to focus on it today because that's going to completely distract from the whole point of thing. Mm-hmm. If you would like to notice, you can also see that I chose to use arrow functions for the click handlers because that makes the code shorter. That was a choice of mine. Purely a choice. And then notice that generic animals don't produce anything because get produce returns an empty string. Now, clearly, we do not want a farm full of generic animals. We want a farm with actual animals. So to get our farm started, we're going to have three species of animals. And so the next code snippet here defines three classes. Class, cow, extends, animal. Constructor takes no arguments. It simply calls super with three arguments. The emoji for cow, the emoji for corn, and actually, it's the, no, it's not the emoji. Sorry, it's the emoji for rice, but it looks the closest to grass because no <laughs> one made an emoji for grass. Huh, okay. Yeah, I'm very surprised, but there is no emoji for grass. Maybe it was supposed so to be So cow hay. pretends grass. Oh, I didn't search for hay. Maybe there's an emoji for hay. <laughs> mm, it might be a hay wane or something. <laughs> So there might be a better choice. But anyway, I ended up saying that looks enough like grass for me. So it's actually rice. But anyway, so the emoji for cow, the emoji for pretend grass and the string moo 
<laughs> Class duck extends animal. Its constructor also takes no arguments, but again, it calls super, and it calls super with the emoji for a duck, the emoji for a snail, because ducks eat snails, and the, and the string quack. And a turkey calls super with the emoji for a turkey, the emoji for corn, because turkeys actually eat corn, and gobble. Okay, with me so far? Yeah, it's been a while since you explained this. Uh, by a while, I mean 10 minutes ago. Um, sure. So this is, when we're doing the super thing, we are we are calling the constructor, uh, our parents' constructor. And yes. our parents' constructor wanted three things. It wanted, a, it wanted a, uh, two emojis and a string. And Correct. we are supplying those. We have not polymorphized this yet. No, Correct. we have, wait. No, we have because no, 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 we haven't. No, there's no polymorphism yet. All we've done is constructor, constructor, constructor. Okay. Yes? What was the thing you said was going to be polymorphic? We will be polymorphizing get produce, but th- okay. There's no yeah, get produce. I've lost what get produce is. So okay, we'll keep going. Okay. So get produce is going to return whatever it is the animal outputs. Ah. So for the cow, get produce will be a bottle of milk. For the duck, get produce will be an egg. Okay, that I haven't seen. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, you haven't seen it because we haven't done it yet. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so you can now load the page as we've already done, and whenever you click on an animal, it may it calls the dot make noise function, and it puts up a little thing. So everything so far so good. Now, as it stands, none of these classes are doing any sort of polymorphism yet, but. One of these things isn't quite right. So when you click on a cow, it goes moo. That seems reasonable to me, yeah? Mm-hmm. When you click on the duck, it goes quack. That seems okay. Click on the turkey. It says, it says gobble. gobble. Uh-huh. I, 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 how many real-world turkeys have you met that say gobble? They uh, always say gobble, gobble. Okay. They always talk twice. Oh, okay, okay. Right? They never say one thing. Gobble? They always go gobble, gobble. <laughs> and then they do nothing for a while and they gobble, gobble. They always speak twice. For some okay. Reason. Okay. So we need to make a polymorphic function so that the turkey gobbles twice. Hmm. So we're going to update our turkey class so that it has its own make noise. But gobbling twice is awfully similar to gobbling once. You just do it twice. Sure. So do you remember I said that we could use super to steal the functionality from our parent? Yeah. Why don't we use our parent twice? So our highlighted is our new make noise function. So the first thing is when we're creating our timeout, we're saving that timeout into this that underscore double timeout. So was it called double timeout before? Nope. Strangely enough, we're going to create it on line nine, but we're testing for it on line seven because that's how nonlinear code works. Okay. So the idea is if the, if the turkey is in the middle of gobbling and you click the turkey again, it's just going to ignore you. So that's why the whole thing is inside an if statement. All that if statement is doing is basically saying, if I'm already in the middle of gobble gobbling, leave me alone. Okay. Right. So that's line seven as far as line 16 is just that if statement. So I want to focus instead on what's inside the if statement. So imagine you're, you just click on the animal for the first time and you're not in the middle of it gobble gobbling. So the very first thing we do on line eight there is we say super.makeNoise, open parens, close parens. So we are calling the function make noise, and what are we calling it? Oh, we're calling it on super. 
Super is basically me from my parents' point of view. So that will make it go gobble and nothing else. It'll just make it go gobble. So then below that, we say this dot double timeout equals or becomes equal to, sorry, window dot set timeout. And then we use an arrow function. We could use a normal function. Only then we'd have to do the self dance. We don't want to do the self dance. So I'm using an arrow function. We say this dot double timeout equals zero. Super dot make noise. And then we wait 1,250 seconds. So when you click make noise from the parent, it makes noise for one second. So it's saying that after one and a quarter seconds, we just call make noise again. So in other words, it's going to say gobble, wait a quarter second and say gobble. Hmm. Okay. It's very nonlinear code though, because we're dealing with timeouts. Okay. So the key point is when I say super dot make noise, I'm using the make noise function from my parent. Right. Which just says gobble. And then I say, wait a second and a quarter and then do it again. And the only reason we have this, this dot underscore double timeout is just so I can test, am I already gobbling? It's only there to for the if statement, because otherwise if you click five or six <laughs> times, weird stuff will happen. Okay. That's all. The only reason for the if statement is just to stop weird stuff happening if people go click, 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 click. And people, people do that. So you will find a second version. Actually, before you, well, actually, no, let's open the second version so you can play with it. So you'll find a folder called V2. Oh, I already opened that part. I've been gobble gobbling over here while you've been talking. <laughs> On the turkey, it now goes gobble gobble. Right. So that's the only difference so far. But actually, there's one more difference. So, okay, let me just, oh, ooh, that's not what I meant to do. Yeah. <laughs> I dragged and dropped the wrong the file onto the tab for my show notes instead of for <laughs> Don't. Okay, so there's now the other thing you might notice is that a glass of milk has appeared, and if you wait thirty seconds, another glass of milk will appear. Ah, I, because, you know, I was wondering. I looked away, and there were more of them. I thought I imagined that. Nope. Every thirty seconds, there's a timeout that calls get produce on every single animal. So. I say I hinted that maybe we might be making get produce polymorphic. So let's that's actually what the code does. So inside our cow, I want to make my own get produce function and it is going to return the emoji glass of milk. So class cow. So if you go back to the show notes, the next little code snippet has highlighted in yellow the one thing I have added, which is get produce return glass of milk. Okay. So we have now. So. The parent classes get produce returns the empty string. Cows now make milk. I'm confused. How, where did we tell it to do it every 30 seconds? Uh, okay, so that is, if you open the, if you now scroll to, ah, sorry, I need to open the file myself before I tell you what to do. So in pbs47a.js, if you scroll down to the very bottom, mm -hmm. oh, sorry, no, let me, I should have, I'll, okay. I'm going to look. I see, okay. I see get produce return and return uh, nothing. It defaults to delivering no produce. Yes. Oh, sorry. Uh, if you look at the constructor for farm, it it creates a timeout. I should have mentioned that in the show notes. A note to self. So if you go to line 34 okay. in ps47a.js, it says start trying to collect produce. It calls this.collect produce, and then it says... Window oh, set production interv interval. There it is. Okay. Yeah. And so it just every 30 times a thousand. So every 30 seconds, it calls this dot collect produce. Okay. With 30 seconds, this dot collect produce, because an interval keeps happening forever. 
So a timeout happens once, an interval happens forever. So every 30 seconds, this dot collect produce is called on every single animal in the farm. Gotcha. Okay. So the, the only animal returning anything. So every 30 seconds, it asks the turkey, and the turkey is still using the default return empty string. So the turkey gives no produce. The duck gives no produce, but the cow now has its own get produce. So every 30 seconds, we get a glass of milk. <laughs> and you can watch it. And over time, more and more glasses of milk will appear on the page. So I've been chatting to you there for 30 seconds, one minute, minute and a half, two minutes, two and a half. We've been talking for three minutes since I last reloaded the page. <laughs> this is an interesting clock. <laughs> really poor clock, but it's an interesting clock, right? So every 30 seconds, all three animals get asked for their produce. Okay. I just changed it to every five seconds so I could get more milk. Oh, wow. Okay. I want to see what happens when it runs over the other one. That should be fun. Uh, it'll keep going because it's, it's a div. So that you will have a scroll bar appear and it will just keep going forever. <laughs> so my challenge is using as your starting point V2. Mm -hmm. So V2 is your starting point. I would like you to create a new class with the name chicken. And I would like you to extend animal and use the emojis of your choice and a sensible string for the sound. <laughs> okay. I would like you to add a web form to the HTML of the page, and you can use buttons or drop-downs or checkboxes. Use whatever you like, but it needs to be possible for the user to add animals to the farm, and the user needs to be able to add chicken, a duck, a turkey, or a cow. And they should be able to add as many of them as they like. Wait, so, so basically, they can only add more of what we already have? Is that what you're saying? Yes, yes, exactly. So for every type of animal your farm knows about, it should be possible somehow for, the, for a person to click a button to make one appear. Okay, they don't have to make... So have to they're not making new animals. They're making animals we already have. Okay. We're making new instances of our existing species of animal. Yeah, okay. So at the moment, there's one cow, but you could have 100 cows. Right, No reason you can't have 100 cows. And I'm going to leave it up to you whether you prefer the idea of a button or if you want to have, maybe you want four buttons and they just, you know, one for cows, one for ducks, one for turkeys, or maybe you want to drop down and one slider. Button. You don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what you're going to do and I don't care. Okay. Basically, the, the, the brief is simply make it possible for someone on the web page to start adding animals to your farm. Okay. And how you choose to do it is your choice. Now, at that point, you'll have a fun farm, but now I want you to do some open heart surgery on your farm and I would like you to make a new class called egg layer as in L-A-Y-E-R something that lays eggs and I would like you to say that egg layer extends animal mm. and then I would like you to change duck and chicken so that they no longer extend animal but instead they extend egg layer which in turn extends animal bingo okay Inheritance can go as deep as you like. It's turtles all the way down. Okay. And then I would like you to add to egg layer. I'd like you to override get produce in egg layer so that it returns an egg. Okay. Because both chickens and ducks lay eggs. So why write the same code twice when I could have an egg layer that takes care of all egg layers? And then just because that's too easy... <laughs> There is one curveball in this assignment. There's no curveball so far. It's all very by the book. The curveball is that get produce should only yield an egg 
if it's been a hundred seconds since the last time it yielded an egg, because it takes time for a chicken and a duck to make a new egg. Okay. So what should happen is that every 30 seconds, a glass of milk should appear, but there shouldn't always be eggs. There should only be eggs every two or three, you know, one egg and then wait a hundred seconds until the next egg becomes possible. Okay. All right. And I'm giving you a hint. I would like you to Google the JavaScript built-in function date.now. Okay. And when you Google it, you'll find out what it does, and that will be extremely helpful in this 100 seconds carry-on. Okay. And that... So, okay. So if you can get everything done... If you can make it lay an egg always, I will consider that to be a a B. Oh, okay. make it... Right, so... I don't want to, the making it do it only after 100 seconds is only to go from a B to an A. If you can get everything else done apart from that, you are doing extremely well. And that last little curveball is purely to go from a B to an A. This sounds like fun. I'm, I'm going to have trouble with making it make a sensible sound, though. That's where I'm going to, I'll get the A minus, maybe. <laughs> well, I, I, I won't critique, I will not critique your choice of emoji. If you want to make your chicken look like a Spock spaceman, that is your choice. <laughs> Okay. If you want to make it say Yankee Doodle Dandy instead of Cluck, that's also your choice. I think I made mine go Bok Bok, I think. I'm not sure what I made mine go. Maybe it was Cluck. I think okay. I made mine go Cluck. Anyway, uh, so that's your homework. So before we wrap up today, I just want to step back and see where we have arrived. So we have spent the last couple of installments learning a lot of new things from ES6. And I told you at the start, this, the idea here was not to learn everything that is new in ES6, but to pick out some really cool stuff and learn that. So I have not taught you every single possible thing about ES6. But this is the amount of ES6 we need. I also haven't taught you everything about pre-ES6 JavaScript either, right? That's not the point of the exercise here. I'm not trying to turn you into an encyclopedia. I'm trying to turn you into a programmer. And they are not the same thing. So... What we have learned is that we can now use let and const to create lexically scoped variables. In other words, their scope is determined by curly brackets, not by functions. I have taught you how to set default values on function arguments. We have learned how to do variadic arguments and learn the new word. Uh, We have learned how to convert array-like objects into plain old arrays using the array.from function. So the arguments object was our example. We learned how to explode an array into pieces with the spread operator, which is triple dot. We've learned how to iterate over an array of strings. Oh, sorry, not an array of strings, arrays and strings with for of loops. We've learned how to iterate over object keys with the for in loop. We've learned how to avoid tedious concatenation with template literals. And now we've learned how to define classes with the static and the and the class sorry the class and the static keywords and today we've learned about inheritance and polymorphism with extends and super so that's it right now we start a pause where we just do new things with the knowledge we already have in an attempt to repeat and therefore get more understanding And one of the things I know I need to do as part of that repetition cycle is to find a good way, a good example to hammer home static. Yeah, I think you do. (laughs) 
No, I do. And it, uh, I know I do. Um, I haven't, as I say, I'm still noodling it, but I have two weeks. <laughs> That's um, right. So that is our plan. And as part of our consolidation, we are going to revisit our cellular automata to finish out our game of life so that it's a nice game of life. And then I haven't quite decided what other things we're going to do with the existing knowledge, but we're going to do some some practical things. We're going to make stuff for a while. Well, I did like the idea of doing the uh, command line uh, stuff. Hmm. And we did get a little bit of feedback bit, on that. Yeah, we did actually. So we're definitely going to command line, but I do want to pause for a bit of consolidation before I do more new stuff. Okay. Okay. That's I, fine. I, I but think, I'm saying when you get there, I, I do yes, think exactly, there's yes, enthusiasm yes. for that idea. And again, so has if you been. have opinion, let us know. Hmm. You have a few weeks to let us know because we're after our pause, we are going to resume. And basically, unless unless we get feedback to the contrary, we are going to resume by learning about Node.js and the command line. Oh, oh, okay, cool. So All that right. will be our first bit of new stuff, will be Node.js and the command line. All right. So well, that, that is where we stand. We should call it Bart. This was uh, this was a lot more fun than I thought it would be. So because uh, I was terrified of this, but I thought it was pretty fun. It didn't scare me at all. I I continue to be amazingly good at never figuring out what is going to be <laughs> troublesome and what is not going to be troublesome. I continue <laughs> to be perpetually amazed. Oh well, what are you going to do? All right, Bart. Well, uh, we will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. I talk to you. I yeah, with CES and stuff. I don't know exactly when, but whenever it is. Until whatever time that is, happy computing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This show is not supported by ads. It's supported by you. If you learn from the show, or even if you're just merely entertained by the shows, please consider supporting the show. If you go to podfeet.com, there's a big red button in the top banner that says support the show. If you click it, that will reveal to you several ways to contribute. You can pledge a monthly amount using Patreon. You can use the Amazon affiliate link for your country. You can make a one-time donation using PayPal, or you can record a listener review, which is an awesome way to contribute. You can always chat directly with me via Twitter at PodFeet or email me at allison at podfeet.com. You can join the conversation in Facebook by going to podfeet.com slash Facebook or on Google Plus at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.